Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Cleared for Takeoff. I'm your host, Gavin Rice, and I want to share what I've learned in aviation both on the job, off the job, and what I've encountered everywhere in between. If you listened to the last episode, you would know that the previous couple weeks were quite hectic. Uh, This past week was was really quite easy in comparison. In fact, uh, today, as of this recording, I just got back from a quick day trip, uh, just a turn to White Plains and back. Uh, I've probably thrown that term around uh, in the past. Uh, Turn is just, you know, there and back. That's that's all it is. So this morning it was just... um, Got up, I don't know, just before 5 a.m. and uh, drove to Logan Airport and uh, took a flight, uh, or operated a flight rather, from Boston to White Plains. We were there by the time the last passenger got off. The next passenger was coming on maybe 20 minutes later, and then we were zipping right back to Boston. I was home by, I think it was noon. Uh, So, yeah, pretty quick day. Love it. (laughs) I love those kind of days, honestly, as long as the traffic's not too bad. And it really wasn't. Luckily, the day started early enough where the traffic wasn't too bad going into Boston. And then I was coming home long before the typical afternoon rush hour would strike. So uh, it honestly, commuting wise, it was it was not bad. I, I generally don't like to do these kind of day trips because that is a lot of driving for one day. But since I, I caught the sweet spots in, in traffic, it, it honestly was was a, a pretty enjoyable way to uh, to just end the week of work, so to speak. Uh, the week started with a three-day trip uh, starting on Sunday, so Sunday through uh, through Tuesday, and then I uh, had Wednesday off, and, and now I just uh, did this day trip today as of this recording, and then I'll have a few days off before uh, the next trip starting up next week. So the... the uh, the day trip today to White Plains was about as uneventful as, as it could be. The, the interesting thing about the, the loads, um, th- this was on the, the Delta side, uh, the Delta coach share. The passenger loads, it's, it's like 20, 30 people or something. I mean, these, these flights are practically empty, uh, both there and back. So, and it's, I'm pretty sure it's only seasonal. We don't do those flights all year round. So just for the summertime, there are some people who will uh, go into White Plains, New York, uh, Westchester County Airport. Uh, whatever it might be for vacationing or whatnot. That's it's a very nice area outside of New York City. It's pretty close to um, just the corner of Connecticut. Is one place called Greenwich, Connecticut, that has got some of the biggest mansions in the whole country, and it's where some of the wealthier people do live. They're, they're just if you ever get a chance to drive around in Greenwich, Connecticut, oh my gosh, take a drive around, check out some of these McMansions. I mean, they're massive. Uh, but the last time I've been to Westchester County Airport, I was in a little Cessna, actually. Um, a friend and I, we rented a plane out of Northampton, Massachusetts, and we, we took it down the Hudson River, did the Hudson Exclusion, which is where you can fly at 1,000 feet and get a tour in New York City and come on back. Uh, and then northbound, we stopped at uh, White Plains, went to Millionaire FBO, got a, a crew car, and, and drove to Greenwich to get some food, and then we went back and then and flew back home. So... Perhaps I'll make an episode talking about that experience going into New York City in a little Cessna. I actually made a YouTube video about it, uh, but it'd be kind of fun to, to share it on, on this podcast as well. But anyway, that was the last time I'd been to Westchester County. That was 2020, so three years ago. Uh, so this was the first time taking a jet in there, and it's it's pretty cool. It's, it's a small airport in terms of airline operations. There's only five or six gates or so. Uh, and there's just a ton of corporate jets everywhere. Um, you know, like I said, it's in an area of, of uh, some 
big houses, some big mansions. So you can probably imagine there's quite a bit of money there. And so people are spending the money to fly their private planes in. Uh, but anyway, it's pretty neat. It's a little bit different than some of the other flying that we do. Uh, but anyway, the Sunday trip, that, that three-day trip that, that started the week, uh, it was it was overall, uh, again, comparison to the previous couple weeks, pretty straightforward. Uh, and day one was actually really neat because we flew into an airport I had never flown into, which was Nantucket. And for those who don't know, Nantucket is an island just south of Cape Cod in Massachusetts. And it's, it's known for being a, a busy vacation spot in the summer. And I mean, it, it's surrounded by waters just swimming with seals and whales. And uh, there's some really good New England clam chowder there. And the last time, uh, again, I, I'd never flown into that airport, but uh, back in seventh grade, I went on a school trip. We took the ferry from Hyannis. Um, so I, I never flew in there, but uh, I, I did go there in seventh grade, but I haven't been back since. And unfortunately, on this this uh, on day one, we were only there for, for less than an hour, but it was just enough time to go outside and, and breathe some of that salty air. And, and it's it's this type of airport where there, there's no jet bridge or anything. I mean, it's just air stairs that come up to the plane. And so you can just walk outside and go around, take some pictures. And actually, this is a great opportunity. Sometimes um, the flight attendants like to go outside because they normally never do get to go outside in between flights. Uh, and so I, I uh, kind of convinced them. They were a little apprehensive at first. Like, hey, hey, come on out. Let's let's go out, go outside, breathe in the fresh air, and uh, take some pictures. You know, a couple of them, I know one of them hadn't even, I think both of them had never been outside before um, to take pictures with the plane. And, and one of them had been there for over 10 years, 15 years or something. It's like, what? You've never taken a, a photo with the plane? You got to do it. <laughs> I mean, I did it on my first trip. Uh, so that, that was really fun to just, just hang around there for uh, a few minutes. It was It was really nice weather. Um, which made for a really nice arrival coming into the island. You could just see everything. And it's, it's not Caribbean turquoise, but, but there's this nice, really beautiful blue water all around the island. And it's just a really fun approach. Uh, and and it's, it's weird because we're one of the bigger jets going in there. Uh, I believe JetBlue does come in with their Ember 190s, which is slightly bigger than the, the 170s that we fly. Uh, same type of aircraft, uh, just a little longer with bigger engines. But I mean, other than that, we're we're pretty massive <laughs> compared to a lot of smaller piston aircraft coming in there. So it was it was pretty neat, uh, really unique. Uh, again, I love these small outstation type airports because uh, it's just different. You know, you, flying into LaGuardia in DC, it it gets it gets old pretty fast because it's just the same stuff over and over again. But when we go into these little outstations, these small little airports out out in the middle of nowhere, kind of in in uh, in retrospect to to the other flying that we do. Uh, it's really fun. I really enjoy it. In fact, part of me was was kind of letting an, an intrusive thought enter my mind, which is that I, I'd wish that something on the plane would break so that we were there stuck on Nantucket to enjoy it a little bit more. <laughs> that would have been nice. Uh, but even if that did happen, there's no maintenance at this small airport and, and there's no affordable housing for crews either. So it's it's not like you could just uh, stick a crew there overnight to, to come back the next day, what would happen is, is they would send a rescue plane with maintenance personnel on board and, and bring in all the parts to fix up the other plane. And, and so essentially no one would get to spend the night there, uh, which is sad. But uh, I guess I'll, I'll just have to go visit uh, visit another time. And um, I mean, I, I remember back in seventh grade, it was it's it's such a cool island. It's it's not huge, so you can you can ride bicycles, and in half a day you can ride the whole island. And there's a lot of things to see, and and uh, it's just it's a lot of fun. 
Uh, and so I'll, I'll definitely have to go back, uh, maybe fly on Cape Air or something, have some fun with that. It was a smaller airline. Um, they Actually, they do have a pretty big operation in the Northeast where they fly the, the Cessna 402s. Um, I think there's six or eight. I want to say six passenger little um, twin piston engine Cessnas. Uh, and, and they hop all around the island. So I think that'll be that'll be an absolute blast to, to head down there and, and uh, maybe spend a full day or, or maybe, you know, find a find some time to uh, spend the night or two uh, in in um, in Nantucket. Not cheap, of course. It's it's a little expensive, but uh, it, it would be fun. Definitely worth it. But anyway, uh, day one concluded uh, from Nantucket. We came back to LaGuardia and we had an overnight stay at the, uh, as we refer to, as pilots refer to the, the, the famous Hampton Inn where uh, sometimes we just call it the rock because at the, the Hampton Inn at LaGuardia Airport, there's this giant rock that sits in front of the hotel. And it was deposited there back uh, during the Ice Age over, I want to say over 10,000 years ago or so. The rock itself is, is millions and millions of years old in, in terms of when the, the formation of that rock occurred. Uh, it's mostly granite, so that would have been, uh, you know, uh, the in, internals of a, of a volcano that would have solidified uh, millions and millions of years ago. But then during the Ice Age, 10,000 years ago, you had all these giant uh, sheets of ice that would just move, you know, giant boulders like this one. Uh, and, and since New York City built up so much before there was as much technology to remove giant rocks and things like this, uh, they left it there. Uh, I guess in, in modern times, you or you know, even in the last hundred years, you could definitely, well, maybe a couple hundred years, you could you could definitely blow the uh, blow the rock apart into pieces. But uh, if you needed to, you know, remove it, but why destroy such a, a beautiful lawn ornament? <laughs> so they they kept it, and now many rooms that I've stayed in at this hotel have just this view of a rock right there, <laughs> and 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 a lot of us will will joke around and and write reviews. Um, based on on the view from from each different room that you have that oh yeah and in, in, in room 617 it was a 10 out of 10 view from the rock um uh, but if you're in room 312 it's only a 7 out of 10 view you still can see it a little bit but it's not as prime you know so we would we would joke around about uh making reviews like that and we still do it to this day day two of the trip was a, a little less exciting in that we we didn't go to some airport like nantucket for example but uh the, the first leg was from laguardia to dc uh, DC back to LaGuardia, and then it was going to finish with a deadhead to Richmond, Virginia. And just a reminder, for those who don't know, a deadhead is where the crew will just sit as a passenger instead of operating the flight. And interestingly enough, when we got on the ground in LaGuardia, we were supposed to sit for, I think, a couple hours, maybe two and a half hours uh, after, after we got back to LaGuardia to, to wait for that deadhead to go to Richmond. But upon landing, when I turned my phone back off of uh, airplane mode, I got an email from Delta, and w w this was the, the code share we were going to sit the uh, sit the deadhead on, and, and the email stated that the flight was canceled. And since this was not on our company's plane, it was a different regional, this meant that our company, you know, we didn't operate it, and so crew scheduling would not know about the cancellation yet because it, it's not on their priorities. You know, the priorities for scheduling and, and operations is all about the own company, and then if a crew is on a different airline, you know, they'll get to them when they can. Um, but with that being said, you know, we called crew scheduling to inform them of the cancellation because otherwise, you know, if I hadn't gotten that email, we would have gone to our gate and then realized, oh, the flight's canceled or something. So it might have taken a little bit longer 
for us to realize that the flight had canceled. But luckily, I, I did get that email, and so we, we called crew scheduling in order to figure out some plans. Now, the only issue is that Richmond, Virginia, it's not a large airport. There's not a ton of flights in there, and our flight was, I think it was going to arrive around 3 or 4 p.m., something like that. Uh, so it was going to depart around 2.30 out of LaGuardia, I believe. And there's not a lot of flights. Like I said, it's a smaller airport, so there's not a lot of flights to, to Richmond. And the next one leaving out of LaGuardia was going to arrive in Richmond something like 10.30 or 11 p.m. at night, which was far too late given that our report time the following morning was going to be 6.15 a.m., I think, something like that. So it, it was that clearly wasn't going to work. Uh, but luckily, New York has more than just LaGuardia Airport. There's also Kennedy, uh, and there's a lot of domestic flights out of Kennedy as well, even though Kennedy does really... Uh, you know, cater to a lot of those flights, international flights, uh, particularly long-haul flights. Uh, but there's still a lot of uh, domestic flights out of Kennedy, too. And so there was one that was just a few minutes later. I think it was going to leave at 3 o'clock uh, to Richmond. And so what we had to do is, is we coordinated with scheduling. They got us an Uber to go from LaGuardia to Kennedy. Uh, and there was a lot of traffic, but we still had enough time. Um, in fact, I think we were waiting at the gate for about 30 minutes or so before boarding even commenced so there was really no rush no issue with that and that flight was uneventful uh, with the exception of deplaning uh, i i didn't hear what was going on but but later after we got off the plane uh, my captain had told me that uh afterwards uh, again my captain was he was sitting farther in front um, i was quite a few rows back so i didn't hear what was going on but my captain said that uh there was another passenger that that essentially uh was was freaking out and, and causing a scene and, and it was all about something simple like trying to rush off the plane and um, having issues with with getting the the carry-on bag out of the overhead bin or something like that uh, and and what had happened is is another passenger essentially had had threatened this freak out person uh and told them hey let's let's sort this out in the jet bridge um and, and my captain said that it was it was pretty close to a full-out fist-flinging event. Uh, but things did de-escalate. I think there was another passenger who kind of intervened, and uh, everyone got off the plane, and, and it was fine. But it definitely got a little bit close to something crazy happening that might have ended up on the internet. <laughs> uh, but it, I guess it just seems that when you jam a bunch of people into a, a flying metal tube that is in the sky and and things are crammed and everyone's claustrophobic i mean thing some people they, they lose their bananas um and and luckily there are many of us who have patience and and can help de-escalate situations that that may arise and uh, and and my captain said he was he was about to step in but he was like you know what i'm gonna let these these other people kind of figure it out um because sometimes just sitting and letting things figure themselves out is, is one way to de-escalate it uh, instead of trying to intervene, uh, which could, could create more problems. Uh, but luckily, like I said, everything was okay. Uh, nothing, nothing really came of it. But it, it uh, I mean, there's, and this one was fine, but there are some situations, I mean, you, you've seen on the internet, uh, in today's age, there's always someone who's going to whip out their phone and start recording. I mean, it'll be on Twitter or TikTok in minutes, and, and boom, you're famous, and, and perhaps maybe you're on a, a no-fly list for, for 10 years at, at one airline. Uh, all because you were causing a scene about a, a bag or being impatient or, or something like that. So I guess the, the moral of the story is behave yourself on a plane. It's really not that hard. <laughs> it's really not. 
but you know travel is stressful that, that's uh I, I can understand how it's stressful but you know how hard is it to to corral yourself anyway <laughs> our final day uh day three um it was it was a busy one it was four legs and it it started uh, fairly early like i said i think it was like a six fifteen report for a 7 a.m uh, departure out of richmond richmond to kennedy then kennedy back to nantucket which was cool uh, and then tuck it to LaGuardia, and then lastly, LaGuardia to Boston. And this was really neat, because I got to go to Nantucket yet again. And, you know, like I said, I, I'd never flown in here before up until this trip, and so all of a sudden I'm doing it twice over the course of one trip, so how cool is that? And and what was really neat is that, uh, like I mentioned earlier, that the weather was really nice coming in on day one into Nantucket. But on this last day, it was just completely socked in. Uh, it was really low layer of clouds uh, and, and some pretty dense fog, too, which is which is very typical in the Nantucket area uh, and Martha's Vineyard and part of Cape Cod as well. I mean, it's and, and it can affect Boston and Portland as well. I mean, you get some of this fog that just really kind of traps everything in and which is just a huge contrast to, to two days prior flying in. Uh, so, you know, like I said, it was, it was a visual approach, beautiful approach come in a couple days prior, but now all of a sudden we're, we're shooting an ILS approach, uh, instrument landing system, which you know, it means we can get to, to 200 feet above the ground. Uh, and we need just, I think on this particular approach, we needed 1400 feet of, of runway visual range called RVR. Uh, and and I remember actually uh, going over the notams before we departed LaGuardia to, or no, part of Kennedy, that's right, part of Kennedy to um, Nantucket, I saw a NOTAM, uh, Notices to Airmen, I think it's actually called Notice to Air Missions now, uh, that stated that the high-intensity approach light system was, was out of service. Now, what that meant, though, is that the high-intensity portion was out, but the medium or low-intensity was working. Uh, but I did call dispatch just to clarify they didn't know exactly right offhand, but the captain and I, you know, we did some digging and conversed about it, and we said, yeah, that, that doesn't seem like it's saying the approach light system is out. It, it would just say approach light system out of service, but it said approach light system high intensity out of service. So, and, and, and we were right. Uh, it just meant that the, the high intensity was out, but we still had the, the medium intensity there as well. And, and later, dispatch confirmed with us. They sent us a message over a car saying, hey, yeah, you know, it shouldn't be an issue for you guys. I mean, at that point, we had already come in. But uh, anyway, always read your notams. You never know, um, you know, what, what could be broken out there. Because given that approach, the runway visual range when we were coming in was going to be 2,200 feet. And if the approach lights were completely out, you are required to have 4,000 feet of runway visual range. It's about... Uh, four-fifths of a mile or so of visibility and so if that were the case you know if it was um if the the, the ATIS the automated weather information was was giving us you know at the time prior to shooting the approach if it was less than that we wouldn't be able to legally shoot the approach uh, but because the approach lights they weren't out it was just the the high intensity wasn't working the medium intensity was working fine then it wasn't an issue we were able to shoot the approach and i think we came in I want to say we saw the approach lights about 50 feet above minimums, and then we saw the uh, the runway threshold about right at minimums, maybe just after minimums. But the nice thing is with, with approach lights, even if you don't see the runway yet, if you see the approach lights, you can continue down to 100 feet above the touchdown zone. Uh, and then 
if you still don't see the runway, you have to go around. But but at that point, usually you will. If you see the approach lights, you're going to see the runway at some point in most cases, most cases. <laughs> but sometimes that fog can be so thick that it's it's incredibly hard to see. And you do have to go around even if you do see the approach lights. But uh, in, this, in those situations, um, if the airport has it, they've turned the runway lights up as high as they can go. And it's uh, tends to be okay. And, and in some situations, you have category two approaches where it's... Um, you have a, a monitor approach where essentially the first officer is flying it with the sole intention of going around. And then at the last second, if the captain sees the lights, the captain takes over and does the landing. Uh, and that's just one example of, of one of the different categories of approaches we can do. I mean, you can go all the way up to a category 3C approach, which means the plane will auto land. So if the visibility is absolutely zero and you can't see anything, it's okay. The plane will land for you, uh, which is pretty remarkable. And, and in some places like San Francisco, where they also get these huge rolling banks of fog that will come in and and that airport will get socked in for hours on end if it weren't for those approaches with with auto landing aircraft it wouldn't be possible it wouldn't it just wouldn't be possible um not quite the case here in nantucket in terms of the infrastructure it's a small island the airport's not huge they don't have uh the resources for that, but uh, you know, category one approach, the ILS still gets plenty of aircraft in and out of there, no problem. I'm sure there, there's some times when uh, you just cannot get in and out of Nantucket, uh, and I know the people that live there have felt that. You know, if you order a package on Amazon or you know it ships through FedEx or whatever way that it's getting to the island, you have small cargo planes that are coming into the island to deliver those packages, but sometimes they can't make it in. Uh, and, and same, you know, when you're trying to ship something out, it might get delayed because the weather can be so socked in that, that the planes can't get in and, in and out. And so that, that's, that's very typical for a lot of these small island type airports. But anyway, this, this was really fun because it was just a completely different approach compared to a couple days prior, even though it was the same runway. In fact, even on the visual approach, I had loaded the ILS just to have a, a reference to, to guide the plane in. Now we were actually shooting the approach. To the same direction uh and then when we got off it just it looked like a different world you know i, I recognized all the landmarks and everything but when uh, we opened up the doors and the the, uh, the air stairs came up and, and i went outside to do my walk around it was just all foggy and it was pretty chilly too uh, it was probably only 55 degrees fahrenheit uh, and it was misting lightly and it just a completely different feel so that was that was really neat so kind of like uh, the couple days prior, it was just a quick one in and out of of Nantucket. You know, by the time the the last passenger deplaned, I think 20 minutes later, the next passengers were coming on, and we were pushing back, and we were heading out of there. Surprisingly, we we thought that we would get a, a wheels up time, a flow time to get into LaGuardia, but there were no delays. So when we taxied out to the uh, the runway, we were cleared for takeoff right away and on our way to LaGuardia. Now, once we got back to LaGuardia, we did get a flow time to Boston, which was the go-home leg, which is just so painful to know that you're going to have a delay on your go-home leg. <laughs> and to top it all, we were when we got back from Nantucket to LaGuardia, we were supposed to sit on the ground for a couple hours anyway, maybe even three hours. I think it was close to three hours uh, before the scheduled departure time, but luckily the plane we were going to operate came in early so we could get to the plane early and and camp out on the plane instead of being you know stuck up in the terminal. But then I looked at my phone and I said, oh, it's, we've got an edict, a flow time. And an edict, it, it stands for estimated departure clearance time. And essentially what this is, is you have a certain amount of slots 
that aircraft can get into an airport, in our case going back to Boston. And when you have a lot of weather at an airport, those slots get spread apart because when the airport is, is under instrument flight rules, um, meaning that they're shooting approaches, the, the spacing that air traffic control has to have between aircraft is increased. And so therefore you don't have as many slots in a given hour for aircraft to come in. So essentially you have a, a, a line, a, a spot in line to get into your destination airport. And so we were supposed to depart LaGuardia to head back to Boston at around 5 p.m. or so. And I looked at my phone and it, it showed us we have a 6.51 departure time which is, is painful. Um, our 5 p.m. departure was pushing off the gate, and then if there weren't delays, it would have been, I don't know, call it 5.15, 5.20 wheels up. So this was about an hour and a half delay uh, from what was originally scheduled, which was just really disappointing. So I let the gate agent know. Uh, my captain was in another part of the airport. He was uh, making a couple phone calls from family at home. Uh, but then, you know, I, I talked to Gage and I just let them know that, hey, this is the situation. So she updated that on the uh, on the screen for the, in the boarding area just to let everyone know that we're a little bit delayed. Uh, but then when my captain came back, he said, oh, I saw there's an edict. I said, yep, we got a flow time. He's like, all right, hold on a sec. Let me see if I can make some phone calls here. Let's see if we can we can change this up. And I thought, hmm, I've never heard of this before. You know, usually if we get an edict of flow time, it's completely out of our control. And, and there's nothing we can do, which... Like I said, for being go home leg, you know, wanting to get home on time, uh, it's absolutely painful for that last leg of the trip when you're thinking about going home when all of a sudden you're going to be delayed an hour and a half. Uh, but I thought this was okay, this is really interesting. It sounds like the captain is going to try and pull some strings. So apparently he later told me that, yeah, he has some contacts at an, an air traffic control in the Boston uh, control center. And he was able to essentially get us a slot that uh, I think someone else had given up or something. I, I don't know. I don't know the details of it. Uh, and quite frankly, you know, it, is this exactly to procedures? There's nothing that goes against the procedures in terms of what we're supposed to do. It's just uh, allocating you know, all of your resources uh, that you have to be able to, to make something work. Uh, so my hat's off to him for doing that. I, you know, it's this captain that I flew with. He, he's been in the industry for years. You know, he's been flying the airlines for over 20 years, 30 years, and so he knows a lot of stuff. So I'm not I'm not going to question anything. And and hey, if it gets us home earlier or on time, that's awesome. Uh, and so yeah, that's exactly what happened. We we actually uh, because of that, he told the gate agent, hey, actually, you know, we were supposed to push off late, but now try and get everyone on board let's let's actually shoot for uh, an early departure and so it, it was a full load too i think the flight was oversold anyway um, so we got everyone scrambled in i think we had a, a jump seater a commuting pilot heading back home as well uh, so it was it was a jam-packed flight and the one thing the last thing we were waiting on you know we actually we coordinated with operations and they got all the bags loaded up we got all the passengers scanned everyone got seated our flight attendants did a really good job of of you know nicely rushing everyone uh, into their seat and the last thing we were waiting for was the fuel truck to come in and give us our fuel uh, and so we're you know pushing that time that the new time that the captain had gotten over the phone was uh, I think a 510 wheels up time and now it's like quarter of five we still don't have our fuel yet so we're thinking oh, this is gonna be tight uh, but then we started we 
you know, see the, the door, the um, fueling door opens and we start seeing the fuel come on board. Uh, we're like, okay, this is it. Here we go. We get all closed up. Everything's good to go. We run all our checklists, ready to push back. Uh, we even call ramp control in LaGuardia. We say, hey, we're ready to push back. They say, okay, push back to spot. I don't know. I can't remember where we were. Uh, and then call me back for taxi. And so we, we told the, uh, the ramp crew, all right, we're cleared for push. And they said, oh, well, the fuel truck's in the way. So the, the fuel truck had, had finished fueling us up, but the, the, it was one of the huge fuel trucks that was parked behind our right wing. And so we couldn't really get anywhere, couldn't push back. We we're like, oh, no. So it was like, hey, can you, can you walk over there and, and talk to the fueler and get them to, to back up and park somewhere else? Because we're trying to get this time. We need to get out. Uh, and so finally they moved. It's now about five o'clock at this time. Uh, so we push off the gate and um, we got started up. And what really worked in our favor is that LaGuardia was departing runway 31, which is the, the northwest facing runway. And the the Delta side, the, the which was the, the coach there we were operating, the, those gates are right near the departure end of runway 31. So this meant we were going to have a very short taxi. And so we started up the one engine. Once we uh, once we moved up and contacted ground, we confirmed. We said, "Hey, you know, we're ready for taxi." And they said, "Oh, well, let me make another phone call real quick because your wheels up time isn't for an hour and a half." And I was like, "Oh no, maybe they don't have it." Um, but luckily, they came back, and and the strings that the captain pulled, it worked. It paid off. They said, "All right, your new wheels up time is five ten. Taxi out to runway three one." Uh, you know, I can't remember the, the route we went, but it was it was a quick it was a quick taxi. You know, just uh, Alpha and I think Mike double back on Bravo, and then you know you're number four for departure. Boom! All right, so we got the second engine started up, and we were on our way, and we made it back to Boston. I think we we landed 30 minutes early from the original scheduled uh, arrival time, and there were actually you know because of that you know, things weren't perfectly smooth on the on the delta ramp and so we we were waiting for a good 10 minutes uh, but we still got to the gate i think 15 20 minutes early uh, from the original scheduled arrival time so that was really awesome to be able to get back on go home day on that last leg and get back early when we originally had thought we were going to be delayed so that was very nice a, a great way to end that trip because it just it made it so much less stressful, and the, and the traffic wasn't as bad either. I was kind of expecting the traffic to be bad, but honestly, when you go westbound on the on the Mass Pike, usually between well, honestly starting at about 1 p.m. until about yeah, six or yeah around six or seven, it, it's pretty bad. But once you get to around 6:37 p.m. and then until about eight or nine p.m., that's the sweet spot for going home. Uh, and I'd caught the front end of this. So driving westbound, it was a breeze. I think I got home in 45, 50 minutes, which is usually really good going home. A lot of times going home, going westbound just always seems to take longer. Usually takes me about an hour versus going eastbound to work unless I'm doing it right at the morning rush hour, which doesn't happen often. Going eastbound for me is usually 45 minutes. Uh, so, But I lucked out, you know, the sweet spot, like I said, between around 7 and 9 p.m., and right now, Massachusetts is known for taking eons to get any kind of road construction completed. And so they're constantly closing a bunch of the tunnels that go underneath the water, underneath the city. Uh, so on the, on, on the Mass Pike, you got to go through the, the Ted Williams Tunnel. And they've been working on that tunnel just for ever since I've started driving in and out of Boston. 
And so at around 10 p.m., 11 p.m. until I want to say 5 a.m., they close most of the lanes. And so it'll go down to one lane while they're doing a bunch of construction. And so it's really strange where after 9 p.m., you'll actually end up hitting more traffic going westbound, even though it, it could be close to the middle of the night. And you'll be hitting stopped traffic because everyone's merging uh, from the airport and from uh, other ends, uh, you know, north end of Boston. Everyone's merging into the Ted Williams Tunnel, and it goes down to just one lane because of this construction. It's just, it's so frustrating. In fact, I remember one time getting, you know, getting off the plane at I don't know 12:30, and by the time I got to my car, start up, it was almost like 1 a.m. when I started making my way home, and I hit standstill traffic at 1 a.m. because of construction so frustrating so incredibly frustrating so luckily this time uh, i hit the sweet spot like i said i think it was around 6 7 p.m or something and zipped on home and made it home way earlier than i thought which is just a great way to end a trip and then i had a day off and uh, like i said uh, today uh, as of this recording today i i had that uh, quick turn out of white plains westchester county so it's just a, a quick and easy day uh, and now i've got tomorrow and saturday off before the next trip on the 18th, three-day trip starting Sunday. And it's it's going to be really fun because um, my girlfriend's got a, a break from work. She has, I think, almost three weeks off, and her family got a place on the Cape for a, uh, a vacation rental. And so on Saturday, we're going to drive out there, and I'm going to bring all my stuff with me so that I'll, I'll spend the day and, and the night with them. And then I think my report time on Sunday isn't until afternoon. I think it's 2 p.m. or something. So I'm going to go straight from the Cape to Boston. Shouldn't be too bad of a drive, hopefully, knock on wood. Um, and then the, the, uh, her family will still be there while I'm on my trip, and they'll still be there when I get back. So when I come back on Tuesday, I'll drive back down to the Cape. I think it's in the Mashpee area is what they were saying. Uh, drive back down there to the Mashpee and then uh, hang out for a couple more days and then I'm heading on uh, west to um, near where, where I grew up in western Massachusetts uh, in Greenfield there's the Green River Music Festival that I'm heading to uh, the following Friday and Saturday and a good buddy of mine Donald is is uh, going to be there and the two of us are going to go uh, to both those days so I've got such a, a busy vacation-y type of week with a with a trip in, in between, in the middle. <laughs> so, but since I've got so much going on, unfortunately, I'm just, I, there's no way I have time to record an episode and then, and then edit it and, and publish it because I'm, I'm, I'm not really going to be home at all. Uh, so that's a big bummer. You know, I, I love putting these out weekly. Um, it's, it's just, it's such a fun thing for me to do. And, and I'm glad uh, that you know, I've got some great feedback from you guys that you guys really like listening to this and, and I really enjoy it. It's been a lot of fun uh, and I'm going to keep it going and that is definitely the plan. I'm going to keep this going. I just got to take this one week off uh, because of, well, vacation. <laughs> Sometimes you just got to take a break and that's totally fine. Uh, but I'm going to come back the following week and get right uh, right back into it. I think one of the things I was thinking about is, you know, it'd be kind of fun to talk about aircraft systems, things like that. And so um, it, I recently just thought of, you know, every time I'm in flight at a cruise or, or whatever, whatever phase of flight it might be, you know, looking at the, the ICAS, which is our engine indicating uh, page, and, and just seeing all the different things that are happening. And so I, I could, you know, do different episodes breaking down systems. And I think uh, in a couple weeks, my plan is to make an episode about pressurization and, and how that works. And I think that'd be really fun. Uh, so, so next Friday, uh, the 23rd, 
there won't be an episode out, but the following Friday, the 30th, like I said, I'm going to, I'm going to make an episode. Uh, I think I'm going to talk about pressurization. I think that'd be really cool. Uh, and then I'll continue on from there. And as I've mentioned uh, a couple episodes ago, my new job is starting up soon. I'm, I'm excited about that. I'm going to, I'm going to talk more about that. And that will actually also include probably another break from recording just because I'll be really busy studying, um, you know, new aircraft, new systems, new procedures, all that stuff. And so, uh, and, and I will be away from home. I won't be able to edit anything. So uh, that'll probably be a good month plus, uh, where unfortunately the podcast will be on pause, but when I come back, there's going to be so much to share, particularly that I'll have, you know, have gone through a new training program and, and it'll just be really exciting to talk about that. So anyway, that's all I've got for this week. Um, like I said, it uh, luckily it wasn't too crazy of a week uh, in comparison to the, the previous couple of weeks. Um, and after this, um, it's, it's my girlfriend's birthday. We're going to spend some time together and then head off to the Cape and, and go have a good time, have a little vacation. So anyway, that concludes this week's episode of Clear for Takeoff. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'll be back in two weeks this time on the 30th. And until then, as always, fly safe. Fly safe.